able to keep you from falling and present you unstained at his glorious throne. To Jesus, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and honor. To Jesus alone. The word of God before us this morning is from our second lesson, Extraordinary Words of God through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5. The Trinity, triune God. For centuries, people have tried to find ways to illustrate the Trinity. Some have tried with with water and said, well, maybe just as there's water and yet there can be three states of water, there can be a, a, a vapor and then you cool it off and it is a liquid and you cool it off some more and it's and it's a solid, maybe it's kind of sort of like that. Or, or, or some have taken three candles, and they light the three candles, and they put the three candles together, and it forms one flame, and yet there are three flames because there are three candles. But we have to acknowledge that every illustration falls far short of this lovely, awesome, doctrinal truth about who God is. That on the basis of God's word, there is one God, and yet three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And yet there is one God. Triune is who God is. Therefore, you and I embrace this truth about our awesome God, and to God be the glory. However, however, behind this profound theological truth is so much more. Behind this profound theological truth, there is love. Active love for you and me. And so we do not simply pat ourselves on the back for acknowledging this doctrine from Scripture and then moving on. We savor it and we see who our God is and his active love for us. For the next few moments, let's consider this as our main thought. Your triune God actively loves you. For one thing, he has given you peace. And for another, he is at work even in your sufferings. If you care to, you may follow along with our text as it's printed in our our worship folder because we're going to be zeroing in on some key words here. The setting for this is that it appears that the Apostle Paul is in the city of Corinth at this time conducting ministry. However, God the Holy Spirit moves Paul to write an inspired letter to the Christian congregation in Rome. The Apostle Paul did not start that congregation in Rome. In fact, at this point in his ministry, Paul has never been to Rome. And perhaps that's part of the reason why he also ends up writing quite a substantial letter to the, to the Roman Christians 
because it seems he wants to cover all the basics of the Christian faith, and that's what he does beautifully in his letter to the Romans. The opening chapters of the, of the letter to the Romans covers all those basic bases that, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are infected by sin. However, he goes on with the good news that a holiness, a righteousness from God has been revealed to us through faith in Jesus Christ. That through faith in what God the Son has done in our place to live a holy life and to suffer and die for our every sin and has risen from the dead, now you and I, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, we are justified, we are declared holy, righteous, forgiven, not because of anything we have done for God, but all because of what God has done for us in Jesus. And that brings us to the beginning of chapter 5, which is something of a mini-climax for what Paul is talking about up to this point. And so we pick up what Paul has to say at the beginning of Romans chapter 5. He says, therefore, in other words, on the basis of everything that he has just said, therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith, by faith alone in Jesus, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Not that we might have it, or someday if we play our cards right, we might get it. We have peace with God. Through whom? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace. The word grace means God's undeserved love for undeserving sinners. Into this grace in which we stand. We are standing in it right now. And we rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope, our hope. The word hope in the New Testament is very different from how you and I use hope. You and I might say, well, I hope it's not too hot next week. But it's, you know that we're simply expressing a desire, but we're not sure what it's going to be. Maybe it will be hot anyway. Hope in the New Testament means a confident expectation of what is going to happen because God promises it. We rejoice confidently on the basis of our hope to the glory of God. And so here, God the Father sent his Son and God, the Holy Spirit, through the power of the gospel, has created with us a bond of faith so that now through faith alone in Jesus, we have peace. That's how much our triune God loves you and me. Brothers and sisters, you and I do well simply to stop and remember how radically, radically different Christianity is from anything else that the world has ever concocted by way of philosophy or religion or spirituality. Radically different. Perhaps some of you have heard the old story. It, it, it's not clear as to whether it actually happened. It, it may have. That overseas, while doing some overseas travel, 
Three, three gentlemen bumped into each other and became acquainted. One was of Muslim background, one was of Jewish background, and one was a Christian. And they began visiting. They began visiting. And the person of Jewish background and Muslim background, they started comparing notes and they thought, well, you know, there's really a lot of similarity among our three religions. There's probably more alike than, than different. And then they turned to the Christian for his opinion. And the Christian replied, so what I hear you saying is it appears that you picture if God is on top of a big high mountain and there's just different paths to climb up that mountain that, that the Muslims have a path to get up to God and, then, and people of Jewish background, they have a different path to get up to God and the Christians have a different path to get up to God and there's probably a, a lot of other paths to get up to God as long as you are faithful in climbing that path. And the other two said, yes, yes, that really summarizes it well. But then the Christian said, but what if, what if God saw that we were so lost that we could never climb that mountain? And what if God came down to us? That would be extraordinary, the other two replied. And then the Christian said, let me tell you about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, because of what God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have done for you and me, you and I have, have, peace with God. Not because we've climbed the mountain, but because God has come down to us. Your triune God actively loves you. He has given you peace and, and he is at work even in your sufferings. Let's continue with what Paul has to say. He says, not only this, not only do we have peace with God, but we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings. Isn't it interesting that Paul simply presumes that Christians are going to suffer? He doesn't say, well, you might suffer, you might have some bad days. He presumes it. Because we know that suffering produces patient endurance. And patient endurance produces tested character. And tested character produces hope. There's that word again. And hope will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There is... A, a noted Lutheran commentator who lived in the first part of the 20th century. His name was Richard Lenski, and, and he's best known for a, a, a monumental commentary that he wrote on the, on the New Testament with all kinds of wonderful insights into the, the truths of God's Word. When, when Richard Lenski came to this section in Romans 5 talking about the, the relationship of 
Christian sufferings and the effect that that has upon Christian character? This is what he said. And I'm going to read this twice because it's a little bit of a heavy quote. Richard Lenski said this, When we persevere in sufferings, we reach this tried condition of our faith. A glorious condition indeed, which cannot be reached in any other way in this world of sin. I'm going to read that a second time. When we persevere in suffering, we reach this, this tried condition of our faith, a glorious condition indeed, which cannot be reached in any other way in this world of sin. Before we consider that insight, how are you doing? Remember, God's word presumes that we as Christians are going to be suffering in this world. What kind of suffering are you enduring at this point? Perhaps it is a, perhaps it's a physical suffering. Perhaps you are dealing with chronic pain all the time. Or chronically, you just do not feel well. Perhaps there's a troubled relationship in your life that is bringing you all kinds of pain. Perhaps there are financial stresses that are with you moment by moment, day by day. Perhaps there are things going on at work that are just pressing down on you. Maybe there are some uncertainties about the future, and those uncertainties are just creating a, a pressing pressure of anxiety. Perhaps there's an old memory that once in a while will, will flare up and just vex you. Perhaps your suffering in the, is in the form of seeing someone you care about who is suffering and there's nothing you can do about it. Perhaps at this moment in time you feel smothered by grief because someone you love has died. Or perhaps it's simply the, the, the brokenness of our culture and the, and, and the brokenness of our of our times, that it just is all rolling together and it is creating for you a, a, a sorrow and a darkness. Or perhaps you are suffering in some other way. But brothers and sisters, from God's Word, we need to remember that, that, that sufferings for you and me, sufferings are not simply some, some unfortunate byproduct of sin that, well, we just have to put up with it because we're in a fallen world and we just have to deal with it until we can get home to heaven. God is actively at work through the specific sufferings that you are enduring. 
The triune God is at work in our sufferings to give us a tempered, seasoned, vibrant, Christ-centered face, faith we otherwise would not have through our sufferings, that we otherwise would not have. That is how much our triune God loves us. And when we remember that our purpose in life is not to pursue a comfortable, convenient, pain-free existence, rather it is to be used by him to his glory. For the few years that we're on this earth, and to touch the lives of others for the few years that we are on this earth, when we remember that, then even in suffering, our life is good because in Christ our life has meaning. Your triune God actively loves you. He has given you peace and he is at work even in suffering. Thanks be to God. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.